Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Two Lips, One Mic. I'm Cushy. And I'm Anna. Welcome everyone. Uh, so we've got a jam-packed episode for you guys today. So let's get straight into it. So I guess this year's episode kind of opens off on a bit of a sad note, um, but really relevant to the discussions that we've had about violence against women um, and family violence yeah. over the last year or so that we've recorded this podcast. So earlier this week, um, we heard the horrible news about international student Aya Masaway, who was found murdered um, next to a shopping centre. Yeah, so um, this incident was really deja vu for me. Mm. Um, we obviously had the incident last year of Eurydice Dixon, who was raped and murdered on her way back home from a comedy club. Um, and then in 2012, we had the infamous incident of Jill Ma, who was followed home from a pub. And in this most recent example, um, I had been out earlier in the evening with some friends of hers. They'd all gone to a comedy club. The friends had dropped her off to a tram stop and then she'd catched the tram home. And that's just such a typical Melbourne experience for any young woman. I mean, last night we were coming home from Florence in the machine. We were catching public transport. It would have been, we would have left like, you know, around the same time that Aya would have left her comedy club mm. um, show. It's interesting though, because there's anytime these types of things happen, it inevitably generates the same conversation um, about safety and women. I do feel somewhat buoyed by the fact that um, this time we haven't had those comments from like police or other politicians or whatever about women's safety. So do you think we're kind of making a little bit of headway towards how we report these things? I am hopeful, although I don't know about you, but I have been following some of the headlines in the major news outlets out here. Saying what? Um, so, for example, I saw a headline in the Herald Sun um, noting that um, the person that has been arrested um, for Aya's murder was an aspiring rapper. Um, oh, wow. I didn't even think about that because yeah. I saw it this morning. Um I just feel like personalising the, arguably the predator of this horrific crime um, takes away from personalising. I Like, that is who we should be focusing on. You know, here is this 21-year-old student from um, Israel who has come here on an exchange program studying as part of her business degree in an effort to work for the family business one day, um, that's who I would prefer to be humanising in this kind of situation. Mm. Um, I mean, that doesn't take away from the fact that the person who did this, whoever it is, is also a human being and, you know, more often than not doesn't sort of fit that monster myth that we're more comfortable with. Um, it's a really interesting point because I'm thinking back to Sean Price who was charged with, well, he's in jail, he's been convicted mm. for Marcel Bukatic mm. um, and her murder and sexual assault and they called him a monster. Um, same with Adrian Bailey. You know, we saw how the media demonised two white ordinary men. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's interesting they've taken this particular tact with um, the person in this matter. Mm -hmm. But um, I never thought about it like that. I think 
That's a really good point and really sad. It is, but I agree with you that on the whole, compared to other high-profile incidents like this in the past, that the reporting on the whole has been far more progressive than it otherwise has been. I mean, the arrest only happened yesterday, so we shall continue seeing how media people police and that type of thing react to this. And we should emphasise that at this stage, the person that has been arrested has not been charged. And even if they are charged, um, there obviously needs to be a process that takes place in order to make a finding of guilt. Absolutely. So we're not going to concentrate too much on those sorts of sides, bearing in mind there'll be legal proceedings and that type of thing involved. But on the broader topic about violence against women, so we were just having a chat before that last year we had 69 women um, lose their lives to violence. Um, Again, oh, at the hands of men. At the hands of men. And some pretty horrific ones were highlighted. Um, for instance, Samantha, um, I've forgotten her last name, but who was murdered by her ex-partner, in Cows in Phillip Island last year. Mm. Um, she was a psych and uh, that one made the headlines um, a lot. And there were just so many. Like it was really depressing to see that we have really outdone ourselves in terms of the statistic, which um, it used to be a woman a week is killed by family violence. But last year we really knocked that one out of the ballpark in terms of 69. Like that's incredible for much of the year i think we were actually averaging two women per week so it was a horrible year it was um, a horrible start to the year too i remember we had it in january alone it, it we were already just like smashing the statistics in terms of violence against women and both of us work um in the family violence family law sector so we know that that time right after christmas is the highest christmas and period immediately afterwards is the highest Mm. spike in family violence incidents Mm. and so that's why you know i feel really passionate about the prevention type stuff which brings me to my next point um coincidentally earlier this week gillette released an ad um to do about um essentially boys being better. So it was entitled, if I can find it, We Believe the Best Men Can Be. So for us who are very well hearsed in Clementine Ford's Boys Will Be Boys, mm-hmm. um, which is an excellent book, by the way, it's, it was a nothing ad. Yeah, I think people like us take it for granted. But even the guy that we asked on Tinder thought it was a nothing <laughs> Like it was, that is the normal human response to this. Mm. Um, The ad itself, though, is more or less an indictment on toxic masculinity. Um, And it's provoked some really heated responses. Um, I think you just made mention of the fact that if you go on YouTube, Mm -hmm. um, the dislikes significantly outnumber the likes for this ad. Yeah, so we're looking at 1 million downvotes versus 571,000 upvotes. And I was reading through all the comments and all of them... You are so brave. (laughs) Well, it's depressing. None of it is like particularly, you know, like the horrible troll stuff that we would ordinarily see on Mm -hmm. these types of things. Mm -hmm. But for instance, we've got this person who wrote, women love to bash masculinity in the internet and public forums and then get turned on and appeal to the most masculine men's. Or they say that there are no real men anymore when they can't find one. Can't have it both ways. Remember, boys, it's okay to be a man. It's okay to be masculine. Don't let soy boy corporations tell you otherwise. 
Um, and a whole lot lot of other people, like, I'm surprised modern day feminists aren't as outraged as we are. Gillette is basically saying, at least in part, that women need men to stick up for them and can't take care of themselves. Why aren't the social justice warriors all over this? And, you know, just things like that. I, a lot of people just say never buying, um, Gillette ever again. Mm. That's the only way to make our voices be heard. Can you say misandry? And so on and so on. What did you think of the ad? Like I said, it was like a nothing ad. It was pretty much just saying, let's reframe the way that um, we expect out of men, Mm. you know? Like, let's reframe the way that our expectations of men. And I think we talked about this earlier this week when we talked about um, dating and men, for instance, and sort of having a think about the way that we date. Um, and the way that we expect men to court women and that Mm. type of thing. And I think, well, for me anyway, I was having a think about it in the shower and I was like, wow, am I actually contributing to that by having such low expectations Mm. of men um, and and projecting that onto them? And so they don't feel like they can be any better because that's that's what the framework in which they they have to work within. Mm -hmm. No, I think I'm guilty of the same thing. Like ultimately... We exist in the patriarchy. We're conditioned to behave a certain way and to have certain expectations of both men and women. And I've often found myself sometimes falling into that trap of, yeah, wanting to be chased and courted and sometimes becoming really complacent about those boys and men who are actually very genuine about how they feel about you. And and isn't that bad? It's horrible. When we we were talking about a guy who seemed like really like – we called him eager, but really is just interacting like a human being. Mm. It was like, oh, well, that's not the chase. Like, that's too easy. Yeah. Um, and I do feel like we're caught up in toxic masculinity as well. And I think this ad has been such a good conversation um, starter and, and, and actually has made me rethink a lot of relationships and projections that I put on the men in our society and how we can also um, play that role in making them be better because, you know, in the dating context that we talked about then, then perhaps it's not it's not just okay for us to expect the men to do the chasing, for instance, or to play games. Like if that's mm. the alternative where you've got a guy who messages you like pretty immediately versus a guy who will deliberately, you know, hold out for three days and like play the game and act cold and then that's the guy that gets our attention – that's rewarding bad behaviour. It is. It's reinforcing the role that they're meant to have, that mm. hunter and ga- hunter chaser type mm. relationship, which is definitely, yeah, it's just made me stop and think because, you know, we say, we're, like, academically we're very, um, we talk about toxic masculinity all the time, but it's a good opportunity for us to re-examine, like, what kind of things in our lives that we do that reinforce mm. that on men. And I think ultimately what makes me really sad about the reaction to this ad is that these guys don't realise that they're as trapped as women are by the patriarchy. Mm. Well, that reminds me of a segment I watched on one of the morning talk shows here, the Today Show, mm-hmm. which I usually don't make a point to watch. Yeah. But Clem um, Ford was on it. Clem Ford was on it, so I made an exception. And um, Miranda Devine. Yes. Um, so more or less it was a debate between these two people who sit on very opposite ends of the spectrum when well, it comes to Well, I would say issue. they're extremists. Both of them, yes, yeah, I yeah, agree. Yeah. Um, so I think Clementine Ford made the really good point that actually what this ad is doing is talking men up. It's saying that 
you can be better What's and you are that? better. Yeah. Like, if anything, that's all about men. Like, it's not actually putting them down. It's, you know, elevating them up. Um, and she also made the really good point that the ad really does a good job of signposting what it is to engage in good bystander behaviour. Completely. Um, something that I think we've all sort of experienced where we've been in a situation where we've seen a man behaving in a manner, whether it's towards us or someone else, that makes us uncomfortable mm. or that makes us upset and not really knowing how to manage that situation. And we've often had conversations in the past where we've talked about our different approaches to these situations. Mm. Um, but this ad did a really good job in actually having men step up and hold other men accountable mm. for their behaviour. I think it's a perfect time as well because I know the Victorian government had released its um, ad on TV and I think I remember hearing it on radio as well where it was like respect women Mm. um, campaign and it it also had that which was like guys just sitting around a table and then this guy just like saying really derogative things about his partner Mm -hmm. and then expecting his mates to have a laugh and one of his mates was like, it's not really funny. Mm. And it's as simple as that. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't take you having to stand up and have a whole 30-minute speech to your friend about um, misogyny and about scary concepts like that. It's mm. just like saying, hey, man, that's not cool. And that's what happened in the Gillette ad. I think um, in one of the scenes, one of his mates is like leering a woman and then the guy is just like grab the mate has just grabbed him and is like, hey, man, not cool, not cool. Mm. Something as simple as that. What did Miranda Devine say? Um, oh, she rehashed more or less all the arguments that your men's rights activists have been making. So she more or less said that this ad was about hating on men and hating about on masculinity in its entirety. Mm. Um, she wasn't really challenged on those points by the interviewers or Clementine Ford. It was more or less a segment that was a monologue for each of them to <laughs> speak their piece. Um, which in some respects was less entertaining but also less infuriating um, because then you didn't have Clementine Ford being, um, you know, being sort of harassed as she always is for taking the stands she does. It probably would have become a huge shouting match. Yeah, and I think um, you could see Clementine Ford exercising a lot of self-restraint in not interrupting Miranda Devine when she was making these points. Um, But when Miranda Devine did say that this ad was hating on men and hating on masculinity, Clementine Ford responded in turn by saying what I said before, Mm. which was that actually this ad talks men up. It says that they are capable of much more than we give them credit for, and that's something to be celebrated by both men and women. See, I just feel like just, you know, shouting in frustration that people can't see the link between the attitudes that this ad has garnered and then at the most catastrophic end point, the murder that we – like this week was Mm -hmm. almost as if it went from prevention, so like all the Gillette stuff happened at the Monday, Mm -hmm. and then by Friday we had this horrific murder – Um, a horrific case of violence against women and people not getting that there is a link between Mm. the two things and Mm. what, um, you know, these discussions about masculinity have in terms of like the way men see women and the way men interact around women. And it's, 
and I think just for me personally, it's been really interesting too, because earlier, like last weekend, one of my housemates, um, his girlfriend was stalked by a man Mm. to our house Mm. in broad daylight. And so it's like, dude, there are, there's connections between the whole thing. It's no Mm. longer hyperbolic to just say, if you engage in this type of behavior, it can, you know, lead to violence against women. Like, that's what the Royal Commission into Family Violence found, that there are links about gender inequality and um, views about women that is one of the causes. Or one I of, think the leading cause. Yeah. It said that the leading cause of violence against women is gender-based um, stereotypes. stereotypes. So that's not alcohol. It's not mental illness. Mm. It's not anything else like workplace stress or um, financial stress, which is people's common view about the the causes of violence against women Mm. it's it's this and we saw it like even just the really tragic case of um the woman in sydney who recently committed suicide Mm. after her husband um had killed their children yeah a few months prior yeah following Mm. a really bitter family law um, dispute where he yeah. also engaged in violence towards her and the children. It's no coincidence. Mm. Like I just, it makes me so frustrated that we're still. It's 2019. Mm. We're getting this stiff opposition from guys, mostly, mm. and some women, mm. um, about something that's trying to say, yeah, like you said, men can be better, and we want to support you in being better, so that mm. we can all be just respectful towards each other and really start curbing all this violence against women, which is reaching, like, pretty epidemic proportions. You know what I find kind of frustrating um, is the fact that whenever an incident like this happens, um, that sort of stranger danger type incident as opposed Mm. to an incident where it involves people known to each other, Mm. um, I often find myself um, reflecting on what I can do to prevent this from happening. So, for example, when we were returning from the gig last night, Mm. um, in my mind I made it a point to say, no, we need to actually walk you back home as opposed to, oh, we'll just leave her um, to go down the alleyway and we'll go down the main street. So I'm still kind of of that mindset where I think I assume some responsibility for these kinds of incidents. But it's interesting because... Firstly, we all know that um, the leading course of violence against women, it's actually perpetrated by intimate partners. Mm. So you're more likely to be murdered by your boyfriend or whoever than by a random stranger on the street. Mm. And secondly, she took all the precautions she could. Mm. Um, same with Masa Vukatik, same with Jewel Ma. Oh, I completely we are agree. All condi- yeah, and it's interesting. It's not a criticism on, mm. on your line of thinking because I think the same. Mm. I still do my steps. I'm not mm. going to be like, well, I, I shouldn't have to, which mm. is like, you know, the mentality. But you do do due diligence. You have your keys in your fingers. You've got your mates. You do the call. Mm. She did all of that, though. From- and I suppose mm. it's kind of reassuring to take that approach. Um where you think you do have some control, control yeah. over this happening to you, even though in actual fact, yeah, you can have the keys in your hand, you can walk down the well-lit street, you can avoid eye contact, you can do all those things, 
but you can still get attacked. But feeling like you're engaging in some of those behaviours makes you think that maybe I can, you know, reduce the chances of this happening to me. But that's what the danger about these opportunistic and random attacks is Mm. that everyone thinks that that's how you'll be Mm. attacked when really it's not. And Mm. so... And no, I, I completely take your point about feeling in control, but ultimately she was not in control mm. um, in this horrific case. And she, you know, FaceTimed her sister whilst and then was attacked whilst that call was still happening. She um, got a lift from her friends from North Melbourne to the tram. Mm. And it does get to a point where it's like, you know, we're women we have to live lives, you know, like we have to travel, we have to, like, you can't live Yeah, what am I going to do, lock myself in my house, which Uh, is also the place where I'm most likely to be the victim of violence. It's kind of a lose-lose situation. Which is why I go back to the concept of early prevention. It's so Mm. airy-fairy because, and it's not sexy and it doesn't garner you any, like, you know, major political um, points or Mm. any money for budget. But that's where it begins. It begins with, like, conditioning from a very young age about the way that you perceive women and the way you perceive the gender equality stuff. Mm. Like, to take um, to the point of my housemate's girlfriend, like, she said that she didn't want – she was polite Mm. to this random guy, even though he was, like, totally invading her personal space and that type of thing. Because in previous experience when she has been, like, Mm. you know, go away – they get violent Mm. and that's a part of a woman's experience. So we're conditioned to be polite, to be nice. Mm. And then, you know, get blamed for it later on when something does happen. And it's like, well, why did you speak to him? Blah, blah, blah. Like you can take all the precautions you want in the world. Some people are just going to be really horrible and Mm. things are just going to happen. And I take your point about the early prevention work too, because I often um, reflect on that example that, your boyfriend, Nick, has brought up a couple of times. Um, his dad works in the prevention space and he often cites that example in some of the um, seminars he leads where he'll ask the men in the room about the precautions they ta- uh, take sorry, when they're walking home late at night and then ask the women the same question. And more or less when he asks the men, there are very few suggestions that are brought up but they when, don't even think about no, it no they don't turn their mind to it whereas with women he will more or less fill the whole whiteboard mm. with all the various things they do to keep themselves safe and it's really um eye-opening for both the men and women in the room to actually appreciate um how different their lives are and it's a constant risk assessment you know like we are constantly assessing for dangers, looking for risks when we're walking home at night, mm. doing all of that. And it's just like there comes to a point where you can do what you can, but things may still happen to you. Mm. And then to go back to the intimate partner context, like you said, you can lock yourself up at home and get away from like the Adrian Baileys of the world, but at home is where you're most likely to be attacked. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think more or less I'm slowly but surely adopting a no-fucks approach where I'm just doing what I feel like because I'd rather live my life um, sort of empowered by doing what I want and when I want it than taking every single precaution I can and then still carrying the real risk that I am going to be a victim of violence at some point. Mm. Well, I think it's incumbent on – for us, I think, now in terms of what – we can do 
is to think about the concept of toxic masculinity, which is very quickly becoming a word that is the same basket as feminism. Mm. Like people don't want to be associated with it. But actually reassessing what are we doing that's potentially contributing to it. Mm. And it might, you know, most feminists would probably be like, oh, you know, I'm totally anti-toxic masculinity. But like we saw in our very minuscule example, there are some things that we've condi- been conditioned to think about that we are still projecting onto guys mm. and it is actually contributing to the way that they feel like they need to be in the world even if that's not what they are. And ultimately, a lot of people are just very insecure. Mm. Like I feel like all these crybabies on um, commenting on the YouTube video, they're very insecure about having their masculinity taken away from them and I don't know what they think that means. Like what that yeah, what would that entail, having your masculinity removed from you? Mm. I mean, you still get to be you, but we all get to be better together mm. and we get to start taking steps towards preventing violence against women and children um, and how is that anything that's bad? And I know it's just a cognitive dissonance for a lot of them because they cannot see the link mm-hmm. between gendered stereotyping and violence against women. Also, a lot of guys are defensive because they're like, not all men. Yeah, get that. That just reminds me of that really famous saying where it says that men are scared that women will laugh at them and women are scared that men will kill them. Like if your focus is on you not personally being one of those men, then you are part of the problem. Absolutely. Um, Because like you said, at the end of the day, if we all collectively work towards um, undoing toxic masculinity it's going to reduce violence against not even just women but children but men i mean look at the violence perpetrated by boys and men towards other boys and men well statistically men are more likely to be attacked by other men Mm -hmm. on the street Mm -hmm. um compared to women who is the intimate partner violence statistic Mm -hmm. but yeah no we're all losing out Moving on to our next topic. Um, So this has just hit the media like literally just a couple hours before. But Mm. Federal Minister Kelly O'Dwyer, who is the Liberal member for Higgins. Our local electorate. Yes. um, Has announced her resignation from the Liberal Party and Mm. that she's not planning on recontesting the next federal election. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, she cited um, very personal family reasons. Mm -hmm. And she said a part of this was she was going through probably doing a Marie Kondo of all her Christmas cards and then realising that she had missed a lot of time spending um, time with her family and her daughter and her son. And that also at 42, she was planning on having another another child and expanding her family. So I actually feel very sad me too <laughs> i don't even like i'm not even a liberal party supporter no and the announcement really saddened me why were you sad i'm sad for a few reasons firstly because i'm worried that this will mean because our seat's very permanently blue um i am worried that her leaving will leave us with someone who is less progressive than her um, and look, she's a liberal member, so you know she's not going to be super progressive in the first place. But she was mm. very vocal in terms of marriage equality. Um, she was also very vocal about women and 
and that type of thing. And, I, and it's sort of like a white crust feminism. Mm. But um, and but I agree, relative to other party members. Like Michaela Cash or someone yeah. like that or Julie Bishop back in, before she got screwed over. She was very vocal about the way that women were being treated mm. within the Liberal Party and those are more of the voices we need in the party. Well, because we had Julia Banks leave. Mm. Um, now we have uh, is an independent now, and now we've got her who's actually left. Mm-hmm. She's our minister for women as well. So if you remember in the heyday, Tony Abbott used to be the minister for women. Good times. So it was nice to see, and she's led things like the Royal Commission into banking and finance. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had some very high profile, um, and she was um, portfolios and also she was really young like at the time mm. like relatively speaking compared to all the other members she was a very young um politician so I feel sad that she's leaving and that that's the reason it's it's a loss for the Liberal Party but also a loss for our electorate especially if they choose a guy I'm really nervous about I hope they have more sense than pre-selecting a man in this seat given their recent um, reputation or recently notorious reputation for treating women in the party. But it's hard, like she's acknowledged it and I think a lot of other Liberal women have said it's actually hard to get to the pre-selection stage. Mm. So they probably already have like a whole list of candidates mm. to choose from. And she took over from, from Peter Costello, mm. held the seat for a long time. And yeah. I think what I found is especially dispiriting about the announcement was the fact that I just rarely hear men leaving politics for this reason, for family responsibilities. I guess it's Um, different in the sense that she has biological reasons. Yes. So obviously um, from a biological standpoint, she is the one that will have to carry any baby to term. But notwithstanding that, um, you know, she did make reference to the fact, for example, that she was sick and tired of missing all these special occasions of the children that she already has. Um, male politicians do that all the time, but that doesn't really ever seem to be reason for them leaving politics. Um, it kind of reminds me a lot of Annabelle Crabbe's book, The Life yes, Draft, and more or less the need to have what we would call a wife for a partner if you are to actually have a long and sustainable political career and unfortunately, women in politics just assume a lot of responsibility both at home and at work, whereas men are typically able to get away with neglecting their family responsibilities yes. in pursuit of their political ambitions. I remember that very famous interview um, with Chris Pine's family mm. and, like, there is no love lost between his children and him because, like, I remember the wife was saying that um, his wife said that the children were just like, oh, is dad home? Oh, when's he leaving? Like, you know, it's such a, he's obviously, and he's. And how many children does he have? He has like five or four children, like a lot of children. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I'm thinking of other people who, like Tanya Mm Pilbasek, she's only able to do that because of her husband. And she's acknowledged that in the past, Mm. um, that he's taken the bulk of raising their children, Mm. that parental responsibility. Mm. Um, but. You also mentioned Kate Ellis, who was another... I was really upset when Kate Ellis... Yeah, she was an idol of yours. She, Yeah, I, she was a great, like, Minister for Education mm. and Early Childhood and was really passionate, but she said she, um, she was also leaving due to having her young family and wanting to see them grow up and that type of thing. Mm. Um, not to draw, draw a very, you know, long and tidy bow into this, but 
I think some of that does lead on to the conversation about toxic masculinity and what we expect out of men because I think a lot of men still are of the view that, oh, it's not okay for them to stay at home and to take on that primary care responsibility mm-hmm. um, and that only damages them, also damages, like, their partner if their partner is inclined to pursue um, career goals mm-hmm. separate to the family entity if anything the studies show that when women do indulge their career aspirations that they actually assume more responsibility in the home um yeah which is an interesting sort of tidbit i would have expected the opposite result but um studies often cite the fact that women assume a lot of guilt because we're overcompensating for the fact that we're not doing what societally we're conditioned to do which Mm. is to be a mother Mm. And so you feel neglectful and, you know, a lot of society still views working mothers in that way, which is like, oh, you're not taking your kids to your mm. um, school play or your whatever run. That same obligation is not imposed on men. So I can see why for her, like, she struggled with it because parliament life is hard and mm. she just had a baby. Yeah. And, um, you know, and she went straight back into it, like, you know, probably like six weeks from maternity leave. Like it was the shortest maternity leave ever. Mm. And she just had to get on with it. She had to continue breastfeeding, had to do all of that jazz whilst doing a really demanding job. Mm. And she had, like I said, high-profile portfolios at the time too and the Bank and Royal Commission. I do really worry about the message that her resignation sends out to other girls and women that harbour aspirations to be involved in politics. She was so careful in her statement to qualify and she said, I don't want this to deter other women from considering this. And I'm like, Notwithstanding that intention, that is the end impact. Um, As someone who's had an interest in politics, I just watched that thinking, oh, God. There's no way. Yeah, what are the odds of me being able to find someone that can actually assume that responsibility at home um, and, yeah, enable me to pursue those ambitions. It was, yeah, very dispiriting and depressing. (laughs) This is just another one of those things I put into the category of that will be future Anna's problem and hopefully it all resolves itself (laughs) between the time now and, you know, the time that I need to think about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also hoping that men just... Step up, up to the plate <laughs> um, in that period too. Um, yeah. As a result of things, for instance, as this very benign nothing Gillette ad, mm-hmm. and get them to actually reassess their views about how is this actually oppressing me and what I want? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of dudes don't even know what they want in terms mm-hmm. of if it was open to them as an option about, hey, you can actually stay at home and okay. do this if you want to. And you won't cop it if you do so. And there's heaps of guys that have, yeah, like Tanya Pilbersek's husband, for instance, he's mm. a very good example. Um, I'm trying to think of other women in politics who've had that type of support. There aren't and a whole many. lot of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Julie Bishop didn't have any kids. No. Like, I remember in Annabelle Crabbe's book um, reading about the experience of Anna Burke, who used yes, to be the federal Anna Burke, yeah. and um, the stigma that her partner copped when he went to his employer and tried to take um, paternity leave to look after their children. That's slowly, slowly changing, though. Like, Mm. even with the government's paid parental leave, I remember a couple of years ago a colleague trying to access that two weeks, Mm -hmm. and um, it was very difficult, and it was two weeks, and now it's, I think, it's longer, and I think it extends to relationships of a shorter duration. Right. So you don't need to say you've been in a relationship for like five years before the partner can claim it. Like you can mm-hmm. claim it. I mean, it shouldn't make a, a difference about that 
Mm. Like if it was a one night stand and the person tried to claim it. Child still needs to be looked after, right? But I guess the consequence of that is like they could just claim it to just go hang out and do nothing. That's a risk either way. Yeah. For someone, yeah, that has a child. But I'm just trying to think of what the government's like. (laughs) Reasoning is. Reasoning is. But yeah, I guess the message of today's episode is that we just want people to be better. (laughs) Is that so hard to ask for? New year, new beginnings? Well, I think this week has just been like from the beginning to the end, the cycle of violence against women Mm. and really good conversation point to push it with anyone that you interact with, um, including, you know, Tinder boys. <laughs> it's a really good opening statement if anyone's considering it. So yeah. What Actually, you... I'm definitely going to be using that as one of my deal breaker questions. Know, we try to filter our guys <laughs> out with that and it's, it's actually really effective. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's all we've got time for today. So hopefully we'll have a more upbeat episode next time. But I think, look, it's food for thought and I think mm. it's a good time to take stock about the way that we are treating women and reassess the way gender stereotypes are sort of viewed in in our very patriarchal society still agreed 